you believe that we started recording right in the middle of 2020 with all of the covid and lockdowns going on around us unable to meet up so like many a young gentleman we turned to the internet for our entertainment trying to find a place where we could meet up and talk about the good the bad and that time that Stu saw a pelican on the canal in order to facilitate our dreams of answering all of the big questions in film and after a few attempts at recording via other methods to various levels of success we found Zencaster, a super easy web-based one-stop shop for recording. Log in and you're ready to record in a matter of seconds. It doesn't take a tech genius to get high quality audio or video. And on top of that, the one time we have had an issue, the fact that the multi-layered backups are stored locally means it's easily fixed all in browser. There are plenty of tools you need when you start podcasting, so let Zencaster take that headache away as it offers a place to record, edit and distribute all from one website. Any Lazy Bones Jones can pick up and play and have studio quality audio or 4K video put out for the world to see when using Zencaster. Go to zencaster.com forward slash pricing and use our code cagefighting and you'll get 30% off your first month of any Zencaster paid plan. We want you to have the same easy experiences we do for all our podcasting and content needs. It's time to share your story. And now, hit the music. Nicolas Cage is probably one of our generation's definitive actors. Stu, you know how you always take the piss saying I'm a hipster? I, I, I have to confess something. Um, I've ordered a fountain pen. <laughs> <laughs> That's very Andre. It's very Andre. That's easy, isn't it? It's terrible. Is it a Parker? It's not a Parker. It's a Lamy fountain. Of course it fucking is. You can't even get a normal fountain pen. It has to, it has to be ridiculous. I think this Lamy is like one of the original ones as well, to be fair. But yeah, I saw someone writing with it. I was like, oh, that's... Has he got a... That does. Has he got a feather on the end? There's no feather on the end there. <laughs> I'll send you the link. I was never allowed. Uh, I was never allowed a fountain pen at school because I never, I never cut the mustard when it comes to handwriting. Pencil. Were you on pencil for a while? I was on pencil for a while, but I, I did get off that lined paper eventually. Um, but yeah, I mean, it was one of those. I always felt cheated. They, they give them a certificate now for at school for if you um when you go pen when you graduate to pen you get a certificate in primary school. Yeah, um, stuff for everything down there these days. But you're probably you, this is probably another one of these things where you, your your youthful generation suffered from our, our dalliances of the old flick, which used to happen every day. Mm. So you you'd get it and then you'd flick it with your hand and mm. it, ink would go up all, all everyone's back. Every day they don't fail. Shirts ruined. <laughs> yeah, constantly. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I, I did think when I bought it, like I can't even fucking deny it anymore. <laughs> <laughs> the only time you should ever get a fountain pen is if you've took out a policy that um, Parkinson has like tried to sell you on, on you, you might get a free <laughs> clock radio full. So you decide that you like every title to have a fountain pen. Or if you join up to a saga cruise or something. Yeah. Oh, your life. I wonder what the prizes are you get for those these days. I bet it's like stuff ridiculous, like like a third generation iPhone or something like uh, that. No, or something obscenely like what we don't think is valuable anymore, but like old people do. Game Boy Color, yeah, the Game Boy Color, yeah. <laughs> I don't know. 
Right, let's get it started. Hello and welcome to Cage Fighting. It's your main man, Andy Gillard here. Hope everyone is keeping well right then. Hey up, Matt Guy here. Hope everybody is fantastic uh, whenever you are listening to this podcast. Hola, since we're doing all Northern today. Good morning, good afternoon. Hello, everyone. <laughs> is that Northern? On the French coast? <laughs> I've, got, I've, got, I've had too many Mexican vibes in me today. And I'm not enough food. So it is whatever it wants to be. Hello, everyone. Yes, I'm not last either. I'm not last. We are, We. it's a bit Cilla Black. I was almost going to say Jimmy Savile, but I stopped myself. It's more, it's more Cilla Black. And still said it. We, I, I said it, but I altered it. We're giving someone their dream today. Here you are, Ed. Yes, well, we, we've got with us Ed Marshall, who, Ed, you emailed us not long ago, and then I, it reminded me that we really need to get you on this podcast. So we'll do the, our three questions for any newbies in a minute, but just remind us about the email that you sent, because I didn't read it, because I thought, I'll let you come with it. <laughs> so, um, after, so um, obviously I've listened to you guys since you started. I've I joined the fan cast recently, but listen to cage fighting since lockdown when you guys all started it and uh on the christmas eve game balls versus chelsea um i bumped into uh one matt <laughs> genuinely a minor celebrity starstruck <laughs> so i bumped into a bloke from the fan cast and a bloke from cage fighting two of my like in you know spotify's trended thing at the year that you were like it was like top two and two and three i think i knew the football ramble was before um those two podcasts and um, I think to add to the starstruck moment is that my little boy Jacob was with me and um, he thought Matt was a real celebrity. <laughs> he's listened to the fan cast through, you know, uh, um, to some of it, not all of it, depending on um, who's on and, and how sweary it gets. But um, <laughs> yeah, so he's listened through osmosis for most of his life in the car, driving places. And he genuinely thought Matt was, um, well, he, Matt, you are, um, you know, a celebrity in my eyes. I he, think you were like Will Smith levels of celebrity. I think he wondered why Greg Wallace had a beard, <laughs> and that's why, and that was where, and that was where it's come from. That oh, well, you yeah. definitely went shy as well, Matt. So that's how you know I'm telling the truth. That's the only reason I can I can put down to it. It's standing right. So anyone first time on the podcast, we've got three questions. Same three questions every time. First one, Ed, sweet or salted popcorn? Uh, well, nothing from the cinema because the prices are scandalous. But if I'm taking my own, uh, salted. Correct. Lovely. Just to, con- uh, just to segue for a second, I went to the Good Food Show before Christmas and they had Joe and Seth's cheese on toast. Oh! And it was incredible. So it was like a really strong cheddar with a caramel to it. Oh, fucking game changer stuff. Get on it. Awesome. I absolutely love cheese on toast with Worcester sauce on it. Mm-hmm. Can we, can we just confirm that this the the for the start bit's going to go at the start, isn't it? Before the uh, titles go, like this is the new way of doing things. Because if not, and that's at the end, Andy's already uh, he's <laughs> talked about a Parker pen, and now no, he's not a Parker. No, it wasn't a Parker. He's talking about a fencing pen, but now he's been to the Good Food Show as well in the space of seven minutes. Good Food Show class. He wonders why he was named Andre Gillard. Not by us, by Dan. <laughs> yeah. But speaking of popcorn, so our good buddy Ash Dolan's recently got back from Philadelphia and he's bought me some popcorn back. He's bought me some dill-flavoured popcorn, which I haven't opened yet because 
yeah, my other half won't be happy if I've eaten dill pickle flavoured popcorn without her. And also something called Philly Pop, which is a really, like, it's quite spicy and a caramel popcorn mixed together. Which ripped off in this country because we get fuck all, but in America they've got some amazing combos. It's incredible. Have you ever had the Irish uh, cheese popcorn that they have over there? And it's like the equivalent of having like a bag of Space Raiders to them. It's not like a luxury pop thing at all. It's just like, a, it's just a bag of crisps. It's, it's the most unbelievable popcorn you're ever going to eat. I was like really hungover on the way back from a wedding and at the services I just picked up like two big bags and I was shoveling them in my mouth like it was the last food I was ever going <laughs> to eat. This cheese popcorn in my beard and everything. I was, I was like a pig in shit. I was really happy. It's really good. Incredible. Fantastic. Ed, what is your favourite Nicolas Cage film? So I've agonised over this for the last couple of days and I think I'm going to go with Kick-Ass even though he's sort of a side character. But the um, the reason for it is um, I went to see that film uh, with a mate who'd just come back from travelling way back when and we just picked it because it was on at the cinema when we were just rocked up. We had no idea what it was. You know, we did a full stew. There was no trailers, no spoilers beforehand. And I think it's the third word, the C word, from a 12-year-old girl. And you're like, what the hell have we walked into? And then from then on, it's just this bloodbath and, and hilarity. And yeah, so yeah, kick-ass, definitely. Great choice. Uh, the final question then is, if you were made to watch only one film for the rest of your life, what would that one film be? So it's the best film that's ever been made, which is the original Back to the Future. You, you name what you want from a film, it's in that film. It's the best film that's ever, ever been made. I don't think I've said that before. I mean, uh, the regular contributor, Dave Evans, is a massive fan of that as well, isn't he? So... I can't argue because it is a perfect popcorn film. Mm-hmm. Like, yeah, it's good choice. Very good if, choice. If it's on TV, you can pick it up at any point. Watch it. Enjoy it. You're not going to get bombarded. You don't need to get stuck into whether time travel works and how it all works. We don't need to worry about that. But you're getting two great performances from basically it's just two characters with everyone else is in the in the sidelines, isn't it? It's just, just it's the perfect film for me. Excellent. Where do you stand on the sequels? Because I know that they, they're not quite as highly regarded. No, I think 2 is very clever, but it overthinks itself, I think, for me. And 3, three we've gone almost slapstick, haven't we, with the Wild West and, you know, getting shot. He's got the <laughs> metal plate underneath him and all of that kind of stuff. They're fine. Again, they're fine movies. If they weren't attached to that first film, they probably wouldn't have seen them on but that first film I think has enough kudos to carry it through for me that they're acceptable movies but you know you're not gonna you're not gonna rush out to watch two and three again which one which one came first uh the the chest plate was it Martin McFly that got shot or Doc or the Doc that got shot or Bret Hart being speared by Goldberg and the chest plate <laughs> which was the first one I thought I need to know now which one copied which I think Goldberg one would have been, was it 2000, maybe yeah. 99, and that one happened? All, all yeah. of the films were before that, so. Yeah. <laughs> uh, moving on to the news then. Um, it's funny you mentioned wrestling there, Matthew. I'm going to come to you last when I spoke about this, because I feel you've probably got the most to say on this matter. Oh, oh. so yes, I have. it is very tangentially related to film, I guess, but 
it's everybody's favourite former actor, I suppose, at the moment, because Dwayne The Rock Johnson is returning to the wrestling ring after 11 years away to headline WrestleMania, which is happening early April, late March, I think, whenever it is. Um, let's be perfectly honest, Dwayne has had a bit of a shit time over the last couple of years. Young Rock cancelled, XFL lost millions and millions last year. Black Adam shot the bed. And even when he tries to do some good and ask people to donate to the Merry Fund for the, the charity of the people in Hawaii, he got just absolutely shat all over by people who generally follow him. He's not having a good time at the moment. So he's returned to his, say, his roots. It's not. It's the job he took when football didn't pan out for him. He's returned to the wrestling ring. Stu, your uh, wrestling experience is probably mostly back to when The Rock was a big deal, isn't it? So I don't mm. think you're much of a, a modern guy anymore. I mean, uh, after the Netflix thing, which I don't know if we know, we probably have mentioned it. Um, that will absolutely get me get me right back in again because it'll be so easy to watch. It's, it's easy enough to watch anyway now through means. Um, but just having it there and on different platforms and different machines and it, it, easy to pick up from where you left off and stuff like that, that will get me right back in next year. Um, but things like this, like, like WrestleMania, I'll, I will watch, I'll watch that anyway. But does this mean he's coming back for WrestleMania and that only, or is he going to be doing house shows as well? He will more than likely do WrestleMania and the odd TV appearance where he'll come and say a few catchphrases because, with all due respect, I think if he wrestles more often than that, he probably won't make WrestleMania. Um, his last appearance 11 years ago, he tore his quad, I think it was, within the first few minutes of the match. I don't think he's got the cardio to, to go through these matches anymore. So he's very much a part-timer doing a part-timer thing and being in the main event. Ed, do you have anything, any experience at all with wrestling? So my age is perfect for the Attitude Era. So, you know, I watched it at school. Um, Stone Cold, The Rock, you know, the people's elbow. Then he was the corporate elbow and all that stuff. So I remember all of that. Um <laughs> But no, I stopped. I stopped watching. I think as that was coming towards its end. So you know, I, I know DX and all those people from back in the day. But I've not. I've not watched one fake punch been thrown in you know twenty years or more now. Been a while then. You know. Right, so you know when I put that the link in about the game the other day, who is that blonde guy? Because I've seen him everywhere like within the last week, but I've never seen him before ever. Uh, which one was this, Stu? Sorry. So that that's Cody Rhodes, who you're talking about. Oh, the wrestling the, game, yeah. Son of the American Dream, Dusty Rhodes. Oh, okay. He's very much linked to this story, in fairness, because everyone thought he was going to be the one who was going to be main event in WrestleMania, uh, which sort of leads me on to the point I was coming to you for, Matt. So last week we had the news where WWE was moving to Netflix. Big, massive deal. And then a lawsuit dropped on WWE that Vince McMahon is a sex trafficking rapist. I think is pretty much what he's been accused of been doing there, to, to put it bluntly. Um, so they've had to move quite a lot of things around, including because of injuries. So they've brought Dwayne into main event to give them a bit of positive PR. Um, if you look on Twitter, which I know is very much a bubble, the story of Vincent Mann lasted for 24 hours. The story of Dwayne is now rumbling into its third day. It 
kind of feels a little bit gross if I'm being perfectly honest, but I understand that it's all about PR and that's what they're doing it for. Matt, like where do you, because I mean, you're the one I think you probably watch more WWE in the last five years than mm-hmm. us, us well, three combined. So for, for the for the real context of it, um, Cody Rhodes won, won the Royal Rumble last year. Not just one that's just gone past. Last year, didn't beat Roman Reigns. Roman Reigns has continued his title reign up until now, had it well over 1,000, 1,300 days. And the whole thing was, I need to finish the story from Cody Rhodes. That was the whole the whole, the whole, whole gimmick. Cut forward to now, Cody Rhodes wins the Royal Rumble again. CM Punk got injured. He was meant to be, like, he was meant to be Cody Rhodes. CM Punk was meant to be in the mix with all this. Brock Lesnar... He was like, he's been linked, but not charged with the whole Vince McMahon thing. So he's now gone struck from the record books. And The Rock is a board member of TKO, which is the UFC WWE conglomerate. And the thing is, what people are so pissed off at is that um, The Rock is seen to have used like a political influence and he is in the main event to boost TKO's image in the WWE and vice versa. So it's a political maneuvering instead of a storyline. And that's why people are so up in arms about it. Um, because it's this hot, like there's a whole hashtag thing going on of we want Cody and everything else. I just think from like the rocks point of view, he's just, he, he's seen like over the, over the course of like his wrestling career as of late, he always seems to be like the wrong place at the wrong time. Like he's never like, in a position where people actually want him to be there anymore. Like when Roman Reigns was like, everyone hated him the most. The Rock was the guy that came out to save him and everyone booed him out the building. And now everyone's booing the Rock out the building now. And like he, like Steve Austin didn't need the Rock, but Rock needed Steve Austin. And he's just always been in the wrong place at the wrong time. And then when he got into the film world, he was, he was just, there was nothing that he touched that didn't turn to liquid gold. And now it's just kind of all the cards are falling around him at this point in time. And it's really strange to see because he was like the highest paid actor recently, hasn't he? Like for like the last few years in a row and his stock is plummeting fast. And then that one bastion, that safe space, um, the wrestling world is then they're both turned against him as well. So, um, you know, a very niche wrestling reference here, but it's very much got the Brock Lesnar, Steve Austin, WrestleMania 20 vibes about this match where basically for the non-wrestling fan, they'll just get booed out of the building when the match starts. It'll just be an absolute dumpster fire. Um, and I'm all here for it. Like, really, I'm to watch it. That's part of the, part of the misery of being a wrestling fan is enjoying it when it's shit as well. Um, but yeah, he's, he's, um, he's not done himself a lot of favours here, uh, old Dwayne. Now, I, I can't see this being the thing that's going to turn his uh, fortunes around. I mean, it'll increase his bank balance, but I don't think the fans will come flocking for this one, if I'm perfectly honest. Speaking of shit, shit that Dwayne's falling star has glommed onto, Fast X Part 2 is reportedly going back to basics. We are so far away from when this series was about street racing. It would make more sense if Part 2 was them going and colonising Mars so I don't understand what going back to basics is going to achieve here. Like, if they go back to street racing, I don't want to see that. Ed, we've never spoke about Fast before. Are you a fan? So I watched the first one um, and the second one. And the third one, I looked at the trailer and realised that we were moving into an action film that wasn't sort of 
you know, the first one was all about bootleg CDs, wasn't it, or DVDs. So if they're going back to basics, there's no physical media anymore. Bootleg, bootleg Netflix. I don't know what they're gonna, what they're gonna plan to do. So um, I haven't watched it for a, a, a long time, but um, yeah. Um, does it need a reboot? Can't we just say goodbye to it? I've obviously heard all of the, um, you know, the reviews you guys have, have done when you've talked about the different fast films, and it always seems like it's getting more and more absurd. <laughs> We can't go anywhere else with it now. And obviously, um, there was that reboot. Hobson Shore, I watched that. That was quite an, that was an enjoyable film. That was more um that was more my my kind of thing and um less Vin Diesel talking about family in his vest. So um yeah, those films have never really been for me, but whether going back to basics, sometimes you need to stop flogging the dead horse, right? I mean, six onwards are the same film as Hobson Shore. Um I mean, maybe we roll in bootleg Blu-rays down the dam. Maybe that's what, that's what this means. <laughs> um, spoilers for the end of Fast X. You've had a year. Grow up. Um, you know, I, I've got. I can see them there. One, we're two little Lego cars of the, uh, the little Lego Paul Walker. Rest in peace. Over there on the uh, on the DVD shelf, well, Blu-ray shelf. But who? What is the point? In going back to basics when ten was so ridiculous, just really, just do the same again, and then that's it. Then, sure, like the shark and jumped right. The shark uh, and jumped a long time. Ago. Where they, they they went into space in a car with rockets attached to it, <laughs> <laughs> and it was completely normal and fine. And they they did it from a disused air base that one of them had just happened to have friends with. <laughs> It was like it was like putting a jetpack on a Morris Minor for for English English version. It was it was so ridiculous. And oh, that's was that the same film where the, where they used um, a slingshot on a crane? Well, it was on a tree where it to jump over a ravine. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, it, you are right. They, they've jumped the shark at this point. It's so outlandish and ridiculous. <laughs> it feels like going back to the start. Seems pointless. Just finish the story. Do better than Cody Rhodes has done. Finish it, and let's just leave it behind us, and we can we can just enjoy what we had and move on. I think is the best way with this. Uh, we'll move to something a bit more realistic from a real world, which is the Star Wars world. Now, uh, there's a bit of news here. So Dave Filoni is directing a film which will focus on the New Republic. And it will unite the stories told in The Mandalorian, Book of Boba Fett and Ahsoka. So it appears as though the D-plus world is probably entering its endgame phase now. I think it's going to tie it together and draw a line on it. They're all sort of a bit too big stars, really, I suppose, to keep that one going. Uh, we've also got James Mangold, the director of Logan and Ford vs. Ferrari. Uh, he is going to be doing a film set in the history of the Force. So it's going to be back at the dawn of the Jedi. And following from that one, uh, we've got Sharmin Obaid Chinoy, who is a Canadian-Pakistan uh, mostly director of um, documentaries, from what I can gather. And she also did a couple of episodes of Ms. Marvel. Uh, she is going to be doing something in regards to the future and it is going to be based on Ray creating a new Jedi Order. Matt, 
where do you sit with Star Wars at this point? Well, they've given us a lot of stuff, but it looks like they're going to be ending the Disney Plus. And I'm sort of okay with that because much like with Marvel, it was running the risk of becoming too unruly and I want them to streamline it a little bit. Yeah, I mean, I've got to admit, I've, I've fell a little behind on on Star Wars now. I don't know, like I never watched any of um, the, the most recent shows and I'm a little, I'm a little behind and it's kind of like that, that running train that you don't feel like you can keep up with sometimes, like I did with Marvel, and I'm starting to get a little bit with Star Wars now. Like I'm, I'm absolutely for like anything that's completely separate from the existing world, so I don't need any prior knowledge going in. So anything like basically pre anything we've had already, I'm fine with, um, and I probably will watch. It's just a case of um, when you when the pressure of having to watch a show becomes more um of a challenge than the enjoyment of it in the first place that's when it's when you're going to lose me because i've got a pretty low attention span so um yeah i hope it doesn't go down that route with it in there because just constant pumping of content over and over and over but if it's anything like some of the more recent things that i've enjoyed then listen i'm all for it and um hopefully it will be to that same standard Mm, fingers crossed. I mean, I'm kind of looking forward to Filoni ending up the Mandalorian run because I think that's been my favourite bit of the mm. the new Star Wars run. If I'm perfectly honest, I've really enjoyed that one. So fingers crossed to that. Ed, is there anything in in those three different directors that you'd be sort of interested in seeing? I mean, we've got the future, we've got the past, and we've got the Disney Plus. I suppose you'd call it. Yeah, I think the, the Disney Plus. I think I think Matt's right. We've got the amount of work you need to put in now to understand what's going on is just it's too much for for people to keep up with you need more than a fountain pen and cheese popcorn i think to, <laughs> to be really into all of that stuff um the future sounds interesting right because let's do something different like matt said so for me the of the latest star wars after the the prequels and the less we talk about them the better um um rogue one rogue one was star wars again it was a fun western in space which is what the mandalorian started as as well right there's good there's evil there was plot twists there was um there was you know fighter chases there was tie fighters there was everything you wanted from star wars that you got into you people were into it in the 70s and 80s and then when it was brought back out in the 90s for for people of our generation so that's the the only thing i'd look forward to is the future to go down that route again to get us back to maybe maybe to take the um, the fast route and go back to basics. Let's make it about good and evil again, and not you know seventeen thousand different types of drones and and bounty hunters that were mentioned once, you know, in um <laughs> in a book from thirty years ago that no one's read. Um, for me, I think the future is probably the interesting one, and obviously, um, you talked about that director with a um, you know, documentary background. Um, obviously being female will be, a, there's lots of ways of bringing different perspectives to something that we all know and love. Everyone, no one should dislike Star Wars, not the first three. They're perfectly fine films that do what they need. It's the simplest good versus evil story. And if she can bring um, maybe a different a different viewpoint, do- documentary-wise, maybe it can be a bit more of a, a storytelling arc, which is what the original three were. They were a, they were a continual story Mm -hmm. with some twists in between and you had a lovely ending where everyone got a medal and Chewbacca roared and that's where it should have ended (laughs) yeah 
I agree. Stu, you've kept up with everything, haven't you? So I think you've watched um, Ahsoka and Andor, I think, with the last two series. No, I haven't watched that. I, I, I tried to watch Ahsoka, but then realised that one of the uh, the fatalities of my brain breaking down um, <laughs> was bits of Clone Wars. So I need to... I mean, I, other than me and Dave, a uh, friend of the show, Dave Evans, um, I don't know anyone else who watched Clone Wars anyway. So it didn't really matter if I didn't watch Ahsoka because no one else would talk about it and ruin it for me. So that was my next thing to watch all of Clone Wars again so that I could watch Bad Batch as well uh, and just finish them all off because I love Clone Wars. Well, I've got it, the, the box set of it anyway um, before it came back and was finished properly. Um, and I really enjoyed it, but I just don't remember it. <laughs> so I thought, well, I can't. I'll watch this. I know I've watched this because I watched it with Ethan when he was small. But yeah, I don't remember any of it, so I'll watch it again and then watch the cycle properly because obviously Mandalorian season one and two, good. Boba Fett, shit. Other than the Mandalorian bits, and then Mandalorian three was pretty all right in the end. Um, mm. So, but you are right, it just needs to end now. You just, just tie it up, nice little bow, there, we're done. Move on. And the early stuff, the early stuff intrigues me because like the, um, what was it called? The Knights of the Old Republic game, which I never played. Uh, and when they were talking about the remake and it coming back, I thought, oh, yes, finally, something from stuff that I don't know about, so they're going to make it canon, and, oh, that's exciting, and then it all gets cancelled again. I thought, oh, shit. And I'll have to go to the books, and which I'm not going to do, so. Something that we do, something in, in the past of lore that we don't know about um, is intriguing to me. There's obviously lots of scope there. And so is bringing Ray back. I think she was done dirty with that last film. Um, like a lot of them were, and mm-hmm. that that was silliness um, with the emperor on a string, basically. So if we if we're going down the ray as a as a as a master kind of route, then yeah, fine, and just do it differently. We don't have to have the same thing. We don't have to have everyone who knows everyone, even though it's supposed to be a massive universe. Just have her in it on her own, no cameos, just that. That'd be great. Yeah. Draw a line under it, start again. I'd be all for that, to be fair. Uh, one last piece of news, then. Jurassic World 4 has been greenlit with Dave Kep, I believe it's pronounced, will be writing the script. So he wrote the original 1993 film and its sequel, The Lost World. Matt, I know you've been a fan and not so much a fan of the last uh, of Jurassic World. You didn't like the last film. Was it Dominion? Was it, if, if yeah. I it right? Um, well, yeah, in that world, or it's like I'm at risk of using the the version of this phrase that George W. Bush used when he was fool me once, and then it, in the starter, and then he goes fool me once when I won't get fooled again, and he goes all like the who. Um, but basically, I don't want to pin my hopes on this because, like, I was so bitterly disappointed um, in the last one. Um, so yeah, it's like again, rename this podcast back to basics because. That's exactly what they need to do. It just needs to be like, it doesn't need to be this overarching story about massive moths like the last one was. <laughs> um, it just needs to be like, oh, uh, we've learned our lessons. We're going to do a theme park. Oh, it fucks up again. Like, but just set it in London. Why, like, if you need a twist, do you know what I mean? Like, just, I don't know. We've been burnt by this before. Unless it's going to be literally man hides, has to hide in underground car parks because dinosaurs have literally took over the world. It goes down that route with it. That's the only way I want to see it. Like, 
humans are, are the hunted ones now in, and it's about that life not you know the way that the last one was so i'm uh, i'm not pinning much hope on it well that that's what i thought the last one was going to be yeah so did i and then i that... think they figured out that they couldn't possibly have the dinosaurs ruling the world like i think just from a purely financial point even though they spent a lot on it to get what they did they would have needed to double their budget to try and get it so it was a world inhabited just by dinosaurs. But it ended up just looking shit and didn't really hit the mark, did it? It was, just, it was annoying more than anything else. But uh, I don't know if it was annoying because we had these hopes that we were never really promised anyway, but we just got it into our head that that was what the last film was going to be about. Because it was kind of hinted at in the trailer that, oh, yeah. Oh, man, it wasn't hinted at. It was basically well, it was all fed right. to but yeah, Jeff they live was basically like, oh, it's Jurassic World. Ooh, be careful what you wish for. <laughs> That's just Jeff Goldblum's shit that he does. <laughs> um, yeah, it was they, they they sold us that puppy. Like, yeah, it, this was like an off. It was an offcom thing. This was. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> hey, are you a fan of the Jurassic Park slash Worlds universe? I mean, the originals were. You know, the original is a, is a classic for. A reason it was it was groundbreaking at the time was it ninety three I think was it mm-hmm. from memory, um, and that's the thing that intrigues me with this. Doing a bit of research when you sent me over the the, the questions, and he was maybe they're going back to some storyline. So I've seen uh, they're going back to focus on the story rather than the effects, or you know making this big grandiose world um, with getting in the original writer because um, the first one was about story. You know there, there was a it it. Obviously, it isn't plausible to make a theme park out of dinosaurs, but of all of the other plots in all of the other films, it's the most plausible. Mm. Um, so hopefully this may be a focus on on the story rather than on the effects or on the, um, you know, going down the Godzilla route of everything being smashed up and, and everything being broken. Maybe that's, maybe that's why, they're like Matt said, maybe the podcast should be called Going Back to Basics because... That's why the first one was so good, wasn't it? It was all set in that one quite big, but, you know, small theme park. So, yeah, I'm with Matt. Maybe the this time it can be someone getting, you know, eating on a toilet, but in a different country. Well, we've got the um, we've got the game, haven't we, soon, um, that's based after everyone left. That's the set, like, the next day after the first film. Okay. Um, in a kind of, it looks a bit like Robocop-y. Like how that game is, like for fans of that film, they're gonna love it more than anything else. Even if it's not the best game in the world, uh, it's it's got that kind of vibe for me. But it looks amazing, so maybe that is something that we need. And that ever, that's Chris, that is the back to basic. Did you ever play the theme park style game Evolution or whatever it was called? Yeah, 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 yeah. It was good, man. I enjoyed that. I really enjoyed it. It was um, it was well made. Like it was good. I don't do strategy games or anything like that, generally speaking. But this was it was good fun. You should have it. Is this a, a theme park version of Jurassic World? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, okay. Like should it's have interesting things. I like it's, those kind it's, of games. Like it's um, it because yeah, you've got to like make sure that your herbivores and your carnivores are split up, and then when it when it goes bad, it goes fucking bad quick. But like, <laughs> the thing that can go wrong in like theme park is that like. No one's on the rides, whereas this is like it, your entire like <laughs> your entire <laughs> lot stock get eaten. Outstanding. <laughs> I will have to check that one out. Then brilliant, lovely. So that is the news, Matthew. 
have we had any listener questions in? Boy, have we. Um, yeah, we have. I did have them on my uh, on my screen mere moments ago. Um, but what is this podcast if not four segues? One moment. I have said uh, so. Yes, I've got I've got gone. So, uh, Matt Goodingson, <laughs> thank you, Matt, has put, uh, given cinema's supposed parlous state, uh, should they concentrate a little less on just up-to-date releases and show more older re-releases if studios will allow? And what film would you really like to see on the big screen that you wouldn't have had the chance to stew? I mean, yeah, they should do this. I mean, and Cineworld, to be fair, do do it sometimes when they can be asked. Um, so you know what? Something like that I never got chance to see, like Blade Two. Something. Oh no, actually, did I watch Blade Two because we were at the very front, and that was a terrible experience. Um, not Blade Two. Um, Something from from the youth because I have when we went to be fair when we went to watch the three D version of the first Jurassic Park that was an amazing experience, and when when they did it to um, Phantom Menace as well, but it made the film better. Um, uh, I think Heat actually yeah Heat. No, it's never seen Heat on a big bigger screen. So yeah, I, was, I, mean, I could do that at home, but yeah. I'd never have yeah, Heat. <laughs> Ed, what about you? What would you like to see uh, on the big screen that you have another chance? So, I, I, my first thought, and I don't quite know, was the original Blade Runner. I think mm. it's it's quite an it's it's a dark, moody film with lots of like nuances, and the cinematography is all over the place, and it's brilliant, and it's broody, and I think that's perfect for the dark the darkness of the cinema. And all you've got is to focus on is a screen. You can't get your phone out and get distracted. It's a really immersive world, isn't it? The original Blade Runner with um, uh, Harrison Ford. So yeah, I think I've got my. That was just my first thought was Blade Runner, the original. Andy, what about you? This might be recency bias, but when I went to see Wonka not that long ago, and I sat quite near the front in the big, massive super screen, and it just washed over me, and it was such a wonderful, happy experience. I'd quite like to see the original Willy Wonka in the Chocolate Factory. I think that'd be. I don't know. Which made me feel like a big kid again. I think that'd be quite cool to see. Yeah, that would be great. I, I, you know, it's one of my Desert Island DVD discs. Um, but I'd want to do what people do for Rocky Horror, but with Spinal Tap, like actually be shown. People sing along. People dress up, do everything like that. And I, I don't, I don't think I've ever heard anybody ever, ever show it or do it. But because like Lighthouse near us is is having a reboot, isn't it? Um, I mean, if they'll like kick off and do stuff like that. I'd be really interested in the lighthouse. We should try and get one of them on. Actually, I don't think that'd be too hard to sell either. Um, and and I'll ask them the question: Will you still hear the police cars scream, Pat? <laughs> uh, which was always the thing that like genuinely put me off um, because the thing that takes you out of the ambience of a film than like the, you know the screeching of a, of a cop car. Surely, surely with Spinal Tap though, Matt, we'll just turn it up to eleven. Exactly, lad. Like, exactly, hundred <laughs> percent. Nicely done. Uh, uh, Monty Dom thirty two. Uh, Monty, with the superhero films bombing and the endless franchise spin-offs and sequels uh, bombing, will Disney ever get its groove back and have another golden age or renaissance era handy? Do you think it will ever get back to that point? Part of me thinks they will, but they need to not concentrate on the superhero stuff for a while. If you want Prime Disney, Prime Disney for me is your animated stuff. And their concentration on making sure that, you know, Star Wars is running and that the Avengers are running, 
they've sort of taken their eye off the ball a little bit. It feels like, like they don't give um, Pixar enough credit either. Like keep putting their films straight to Disney Plus rather than giving it a, a run in the cinema. So I think it was last week or the week before in America, they finally gave Soul a release in their cinema screen. And apparently it was an amazing success and even made the top 10 in the world because of how many people wanted to see it. So I think if they want to, they need to concentrate on what brought Disney to the party. They're there because of your Snow Whites, because of your classic animation. They need to give us something of that and not everything else. They've turned into a bit of a, um, well, what's the term? Um, jack of all trades, master of none, it feels mm-hmm. like. Yeah. Uh, Ed, what about you? Do you think we'll ever get back to the point where we'll have like the end game saga and it be, or, sorry, the Infinity War saga and it'll be that media event that the world cares about, not just Marvel fans care about, you know, when it's as big as that. So to piggyback off Andy's point, I think it seems to me over the recent years it's been originally Disney did movies and the merchandise came from the movies and it feels like it's the other way around now. They've got the merchandise and how can we keep flogging that merchandise with another reboot of another film or another, you know, we didn't need that last Ant-Man. With No one needed that. But they did it again in the hope that it might, you know, sell an Ant-Man lunchbox or, you know, a water bottle or whatever it is. Um, so I'd, Marvel, well, I... I I loved Marvel and I, I could watch all of them. I was on a play recently and toyed with watching Endgame for like the 12th time or whatever it is. And that's a, it's a long movie. Um, but even I, and I was staunchly into superheroes and I've seen the X-Men have been done dirty over the years. Um, I think they're, they're definitely the best genre of, of superheroes. Um, I think that, that ship has sailed a little bit now. I think even the diehards are getting bored. And I think we should be going back to, like I think like what Andy said, going back to actually telling some stories. Let's get some interesting dialogue done. Let's just do some one-off films, Disney. You know, let Pixar do their thing and make something as incredible as Toy Story again. You know, let someone tell a story rather than let someone make a character to sell some some merchandise. Like even with the last Toy Story, we had Spork or whatever it was, Sporky. You know, fun character, but he was definitely mostly made to sell action figures. Mm. And Stu is the probably the the most diehard of all of them. But also, when it comes to like the Marvel franchise and everything else, where do you stand on this? How 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 can they, if they can, get it back to that those halcyon days of like you know people queuing in the streets to get in for like Marvel and Disney? I don't think that's ever going to happen again, anyway. Um, just because the way things are in, I think that was a, a, a proper, you have to be there to experience it kind of time with Endgame. Um, but I mean, the, the, the clue is in the name, Disney, not Lucasfilm, not Marvel, Disney. I think that it's a clean sweep of fuck the other stuff off or get, separate it properly and not interfere and leave it alone. And I mean, that, that's what I'm kind of dreading what Deadpool 3 is going to be like because you can tell that it's going to be interference central. It's not going to be as good as the first two. Maybe maybe it is. Who knows? But it's just got that stench that it's going to be too It's going to be messed with too much. Um, but well, that's, that's, what, that's what I'd say. Just go back to being Disney Pixar again and nothing else. That works. You don't extend yourself too much because that's what's happened. 
and fueling the Disney Plus train has made it even worse. And when when I mean, remember when, when when it launched, we said on here, oh, are you going to get it because it's all oh, it's Disney, it's, it's all the old Disney films, and they might have in, in, in original things on there, and it looks all good. And it's like, oh yeah, well, I like the Disney films, and why not? We'll give it a go. And it was only it was cheap, wasn't it, to start with, and and now it's grown into what it is now, and it's too much. And even Disney Plus is too much, and there's no time to watch all this stuff anymore. Back to basics. There's your title. There you go. There you go. Well, thank you, uh, everybody, for getting your questions in. And uh, there's nothing too silly we won't discuss, even for two very normal questions for a change, which is quite nice. So get your questions <laughs> in and we will answer them. <laughs> Superb. Thank you very much. So I know we discussed it last week, but what have you seen in the cinema, on TV, wherever? What have you watching lately? Uh, have we mentioned Gladiators? Yes, um, in 24. We very briefly, briefly mentioned it when we, when when the debut was out. So like we're what four weeks in now, are we? Yes, yes. So I've been watching Gladiators. Uh, I missed episode three, so I watched that yesterday, and I watched episode four today with the good lady. Um, and there's some really good bits in it, and there's some not so good bits in it. Um, but it's still just quite. You can have it on, do whatever you like. You're not missing anything. This it's not quite as cringy as the first episode with the one guy who like had a fake injury and then couldn't manage to kick on with it. But there's these really like weird forced bits of drama, like um, the referee, Mark Clattenburg, will make some call uh, that is weird or disqualify someone, or one of the gladiators. Like some of them have personalities and some of them don't, which is really weird. Like they'll have a persona when some of them don't. It's just, it's it it's complete switch off TV that I'm quite enjoying, and it has no consequence on my life whatsoever. It doesn't matter when I watch it or how I watch it or what I do. Um, it's funny because like I, I said this in the group chat, but Sam asked me like, did I, do I find um, Diamond's figure attractive? And I just answered that millisecond too quickly. Yes, <laughs> it was like literally like a fractionally too quick. It was like. Do you find that figure to yes? <laughs> yeah, I felt that for, uh, that that evening was ruined. Um, but yeah, I'm enjoying it. It's it, it's it's fine as it is. Um, and I've been watching uh, what I finished, uh, Griselda, on Netflix. The story uh, of Griselda Blanco, the woman described by um, oh, who what the fuck was it? Who's Narcos about? I've completely lost um, lost my uh, train of thought. Um, basically, as, as the only woman that was ever feared in that world was Griselda Blanco and, and the crazy story behind. And they fit into like, I think it's four or six episodes, like so much in those episodes. They do not waste a minute. Really, really good program start to finish. Nearly all in foreign language as well, which um, mm. like shouldn't put anybody off. It's it's a, it's a great story. Um and yeah, you've seen all of it before in various iterations of Scarface and, and everything else, but definitely worth a watch. And, you know, for it to then, you know, based on real life as well, makes it all the more kind of interesting as a story. But yeah, definitely worth a go. Oh, lovely. Ed, have you watched anything this year? Well, it doesn't have to have been this week. So, yeah. Um, so I have binge watched, and it's a guilty pleasure of mine, um, Sign a Witness on the BBC. <laughs> 
with back in a previous life in a previous job post-mortems was a part and parcel of what i had to do and i've always had a morbid curiosity of it um but it's back it's back to what it was 10 years or so ago it kind of it jumped the shark itself a little bit with people getting buried underground in mexico when they shouldn't have been there why a forensics team from london would be in mexico looking stuff up those, those types of things but it's back to just doing sort of you know gang warfare and, and human trafficking and all the kind of what you sadly is real life what you what i'm sure they ha- actually have to deal with um so that's been really good um and there's th- i think three three uh, se- uh three episodes so two parts so six of them to catch up on which i did over the last couple of weeks and i guess the only other appointment reunion for me on tv has been um taskmaster and like the last taskmaster which i just finished um which was probably the best one for a long long time and i love that show and i can re-watch it on youtube um have my favorite series but i think the last one that just came on with Judy and Claire and loads of other um, people was probably the best one for a, a you know four or five years. That's four or five seasons, I'd say. So they're probably the the two that I've been watching, uh, other than catching up on a lot of sports and Match of the Day and all the other good stuff that just you tinker on. And I did watch the first Gladiators, Matt, and it definitely was a fake injury. Yeah, it was. Like from, that bloke from from Lancashire, Ed, there was definitely nothing wrong with him. If he can take the travelator with a torn hamstring, then um, he's got. Um, Vince McMahon tore both of his quads and I don't think he would have gone up as that travel later. <laughs> Super. The one thing I really enjoyed about the last season of, of Taskmaster, which some of the ones before hadn't quite hit, when it was on during the pandemic, because you lost the crowd, it didn't work quite as well. Yeah. And I feel like it took them a couple of seasons just to get back into the swings of it. Whereas this time, Greg very much plays up to being the character of the Taskmaster to the audience. A bit of a panto character. Yeah, and it's definitely panto. He, he got it. Yeah, it was perfect this season. He got the balance just right. And it it was as good as when it was on Dave, I thought. This yes, season. yeah. Really enjoyed it. Brilliant. No, I haven't heard that now for a long, long time, Julian Clary. Um, is he, I presume he's exactly the same. Yeah, yeah. he was wonderful from start to finish. Yeah. Absolutely. Exactly what you'd imagine, just to, you know, queening it up to the best of his ability. Every, every, every one of his prizes was linked to, you know, some kind of phallus or, or arse in some way, shape or form. And he acted like he didn't want to be there, but genuinely seemed to love it. It was, he was the, per- Those, they always have one on Taskmaster, an elder statesman, and he was perfect for, for it. And this, this series just gone. Mm. I remember there was a Sky One like, kind of game show, I think, called Prickly Hate years ago. I think Davina McCall might have hosted it as well. And it, it was like a, it was an 18 to 30s game show where you got pissed up and do stupid things on the beach, and it was in the it was in the era of booze Britain and stuff like that on Bravo, the, when things were when fun was allowed to be televised. Um, but I don't think I've seen Julian Clary since then. That's probably about 20 years. I didn't know he was yeah. he was back doing stuff. This is intriguing. There, it's, it's worth a watch just yeah. for him and uh, Sam Campbell. Sam Campbell. I'd, I'd never known of Sam Campbell before. And I think he's legitimately bonkers. And he was perfect for the, the environment it was. So I think if you've not seen Taskmaster before, that's a really good place for someone to start. Stu, what have you been watching? Oh, halfway through, you know, Harlan Coben, is that his name? The yeah. Guy who, he's got, um, always got this deal with Netflix, but there's one rogue season of something called Shelter that's on Prime. And I thought, well, until then, bastards put the money up and put adverts in, which is in my experience. 
not want to watch anything anymore. Um, I'm going to tick this off the box because I love all that stuff. And this, it's all completely different to all the other stuff. And this is probably the reason it's on there. It's more like a Stranger Things drama, like drama mystery compared to all the other stuff on on like Fool Me Once and stuff like that. And Stranger, it's nothing like them really. Um, it's all about like early twenties kids, like in in Hollow. I presume they're early twenties actors um, playing high school kids, because um, you can tell. Mm. But it's all right, actually. It's not the best thing in the world. It's not the worst. Um, but it's like the same kind of formula where every episode leaves it at a cliffhanger. And so four out of eight of that so far. And I've actually got to kind of... You know what you're getting with these shows. It, it is proper, like... It's not quite background stuff because you would miss things if you were pissing about on your phone. But you don't really have to think that much while you're watching it. Um, but like I said, other than football and, and glory of... Uh, being supposed decent teams um there's i played something which actually made me kind of tear up which is what it's designed to do and it's called before your eyes it's a vr game where you control things by blinking and i'll just give you the obviously you've not got it and so you're not going to play it anyway but before your eyes is a unique vr narrative adventure which tells the story of a soul's journey into afterlife using blinking the story begins after your death, so already it's not very ha- it's not very nice. Um, <laughs> so you're kind of reliving your memories and stuff like this, and like you're from your past, and it's very emotional. <laughs> and watching that after a few beers was probably not the best idea in the world. It was only about two two hours long, <laughs> um, three hours if you get if you want to do everything. But it was really really good, and it reminded me not of the same kind of thing. But when I played Journey for the one and only time, and I thought, <laughs> yeah, that, that is perfect. This is amazing. If you've got any kind of VR, I don't know if you're tired of anything else, but PSVR 2, it's definitely on there, and it's worth it. I think it was about 15 quid. Um, maybe wait for a sale, get it for a tenner or something like that. But yeah, it was well worth it. It was amazing. Uh, before your eyes. Oh, superb. Excellent. Um, so I am currently deep into my Oscars re- uh, watch for this. I've got one live-action feature film left to watch which is Napoleon and I really don't want to watch it but like I've come this far I may as well finish it off um so the ones that I'll mention that I think are, are worthy of mention I went to see the Iron Claw did an unlimited screening this past week it's out I think next Friday um Matt you will love it it is mm-hmm. genuinely excellent the actual in-ring stuff is you know it's competently put together it's nothing spectacular. You know, there's no five-star matches. Yeah. But you don't go in expecting that, let's be honest. No story as I do, there's bits of it like they've clearly changed to make it a coherent narrative. And that doesn't take away from it. It works perfectly as a movie. Genuinely don't understand how it's not got any Oscar nominations because it's some of the most amazing performances I've seen. And, like, it's beautifully rendered in the fact that like it starts in the late 60s and goes through to the early 90s and you believe you're there at each point of it so quite how it's not up for any cinematography is beyond me just an outstanding movie that whether you're a wrestling fan or you're not i think you will get something from it because the story is there it's the story of a family breaking down and the one son being left having to hold it all together the wrestling's just sort of superfluous to the story really but it's fantastic 
Um, I saw American Fiction on Friday this week. Loved it. Absolutely brilliant. I'm a big fan of Jeffrey Wright. I always find him to be such a warming presence on screen. And he was just, he's a bit like uh, Larry David. He was quite curmudgeonly, but he also had a bit of a soft side, which possibly Larry David doesn't have in the curb. He was great in this. It was a very funny film that clearly had a message about how we consume our media and especially about how people of colour struggle to tell stories about anything that isn't the quote-unquote black experience. Like, he very much makes the joke of... um, So there's another writer who writes a book, and it's called Wee's Lives in Daghetto is the name of the book, and it's a massive seller, whereas he writes a book called The Frog and nobody wants to read it because it's not about the black experience. It's just about people who happen to be black, and that's the story of their life. Fantastic. It tells a really clever joke within the first 30 seconds, and I thought, fuck it, I know I'm going to love this film. So he got me on side early doors, and it was great. Uh, the last film I want to mention is one I literally finished 15 minutes before we got together for this podcast. I watched The Beekeeper, and I should hate it, but it was fucking brilliant. It was proper Jason Statham doing a terrible American accent, swinging for the fences, nonsense. Joe, you will love it. Do you now regret regret not watching it in the cinema, though, like you said? No, no. I'm, I'm glad I watched it at home, in fairness. It's not one that I think would have been made better by the cinema experience. It was perfectly fine where it was, so I'm, I'm quite happy with how I watched it. But yeah, brilliant. Right, so the next question is yours, please, Edward. Yeah, so um, my question simply is, what is your favourite or your best opening scene to a film or movie? I don't know who wants to take it first. Jim, I'm looking at you. I mean, there's some here. I had three that st- jumped off the page straight away. And one I'm going to leave because I presume that I think I haven't been able to use it. So I want to say Scream. Just because it was unlike anything ever we- we've seen before. Obviously, we've seen it a lot since. But killing off your main character within five minutes was genius. Absolute genius. And the fact that she was in everything. She was in all the build-up, all the hype and everything. It was her big comeback role, and then she was dead straight away. But superb. We thought, well, what else can happen now after this? And I was obviously way too young. I can't even remember how I watched it first time around. Um, I was going to say, I couldn't grow a beard then, but I still can't, so I couldn't have gone in that way. <laughs> um, but yeah, Scream was perfect for the, for this answer because it just was. It was unique, it was special, and it still works now. And obviously it's been parodied to fuck, um, which is always a good sign. But yeah, screen. Yeah, Andy? So it's interesting you say you're going to leave one of them off because you think that's going to be my answer. But actually Scream was on my list <laughs> three. And, and that's what I was going to go for because it took the psycho killing off your big name actor but Psycho did that like within 45 to 60 minutes, did it immediately. And it really was like the most impactful way to start a film, which Drew Barrymore had been front and center of, of you know, promoting. So excellent. So my answer I'm going to go with then, if I can't go with Scream, is going to be Inglorious Bastards. I'm a big fan of Tarantino anyway, so I knew this was going to be my kind of film. 
But the actual performance by Christoph Waltz, where he just walks into that home trying to find, you know, well, he was the Jew hunter, wasn't he? That's his character name. And the way he sits there so calmly, having a drink, talking to this person, while this person is quite clearly terrified of this human being, finding what's underneath the floorboards. The tension that they managed to build up in that opening scene is just next level. Absolutely outstanding. And Christoph Waltz, who I think is a really, really good actor, I still think that's his best role, and that was probably the role that got him the most fame. Just a wonderful performance that started that strong and didn't let up throughout it. The absolute ferocity that he played Colonel Landowitz was incredible. And that scene was the, the stamp on the, the performance for me. He's got an evil mouth. Proper mm. real baddie, isn't it? Yeah. Like, I can't see him ever doing a romantic comedy or so. Because <laughs> he'll always be Lander. He's just evil. Yeah. The the, the One of my favourite lines in all of film when it comes to delivery is from that film, and it probably gets like overlooked quite a bit, and it's when he goes, this German wants to die for his country. Oblige him. <laughs> it's just it's such the greatest line. Oh, I absolutely love it. It's just like the... The, the bollocks on it is just oh, brilliant. Um, for me, it because of like what came before it and the zero expectations of it, and then what it what it meant, and like cinema film changed after this moment, and it's the start of the Matrix. It was just you don't know what's going on. It goes down the fucking phone, and there's Trinity, and she's dialing in, no explanation of what's going on. You've got bullet time. Everything's just crazy. And then all of a sudden she pisses off down a telephone and you just, you, you're left without a breath because you don't know what you've just witnessed. And now the, the rest of the story is about to unfold. It's just nothing was the same after that in terms of like how an action film can start and how a story can be told by being fed absolutely nothing. And I think it's phenomenal. And then to see it in like 4DX, like, like last year or the year before, again, I felt exactly that again, but then strapped into a chair having me drink pissed all over me so it's just like yeah god i love that opening scene of the magic it's the first thing i want to do when this podcast ends is i'm just going to go watch the start of it now and uh, enjoy it all over again cool so for me i had three that jumped out and none of you have mentioned them so gangs in new york i think that opening fight scene is epic and um it's daniel day lewis mm. stealing the show um Similarly, um, Saving Private Ryan, I've only ever watched it yeah. once. Can't watch it again. The realism of that is nuts. Like, to the way that you start on the boats and you watch the, the you know, the trap that one of the uh, drawbridges go down and they all just walk out into this sea of bullets. It's just, yeah, un unbelievably. Re the fact that I remember at the time men that were alive saying that was exactly what it was like is a testament to how good that scene is um but for me and and maybe it links with what we've been talking about in the rest of the pod but i've gone for up talking to pixar that opening three or four minutes is the most i've ever bawled in a cinema i was there i didn't have jacob wasn't born i didn't have my little boy at the time it was just watching it and it's, your cynical head is it's an exposition dump, right? It's, here's the story of everything that you need to know for the rest of the film. But it's done in almost silence. It's picture perfect. It's, every note is pitch perfect. You know, we have the 
the two people, Ellie and Carl, meeting when they're kids, you know, and they fall in love and they think they're going to have kids and they can't. I mean, this is a Pixar Disney film. We shouldn't be dealing with sadness and death. And we get to death and then all of a sudden it's like, there's this, the reason for Carl being the grumpy curmudgeon that he is, is we've seen it all and you then get to see the rest of the film knowing that he's coming from a place where, you know, he's he's lost the love of his life and he couldn't have kids and all this kind of other stuff. And he's trying to fulfill this wish. And the fact that it gets paid off at the end when you open the book and you realise that the journey's been everything they did together, regardless, it's just, yeah. I it, It's it's why when we were talking about Disney early, it's why we should just let people tell stories. That doesn't need a sequel. doesn't need a prequel. It's all in that one, that first four or five minutes could have been a short and it probably would have billions of views on YouTube. It's it's perfect and animated cinema. Hmm. Interesting. That was the third film on my list of three. Yeah, it's it's beautiful. Was the other one The Dark Knight? No, it was Inglorious Bastards Up and Scream with the three I'd got on my... That one would have been up there. And to be fair, I was really like... The, the beginning of Dark Knight Rises, I think, is a really good, interesting way that they introduced Bane into that world. I thought it was fantastic. Yes, uh, Goodfellas could arguably be in there as well. Love the setting of, of introducing us to Henry. Fantastic. Oh, man, that Bane accent really is something, isn't it? <laughs> you fight like a younger man. <laughs> That's pretty good. That's quite... It was got to be That's quite impressive. They fucking clip that. <laughs> Close my eyes. You were Tom Hardy, mate. Well, it's been said. That's what he said to Sam. <laughs> <laughs> that's how he got over the diamond thing, wasn't it? Yeah. Just close your eyes and pretend I'm Tom Hardy. <laughs> <laughs> oh, speaking of clipping it, like a very, very quick segue, because I know we're kicking all the time. I'm about, when, when this finishes, um, it's so shit that we conceded that fourth goal to Man United, because when Pedro Neto scored, I'll record every, every commentary I do, I proper channeled my, like, South American football commentator <laughs> and I screamed down the microphone the only thing that I didn't do was do like a fucking WCW Tony Schiavone and say this is the greatest night in the history of our great sport because that was like the next thing to like come out of my lips <laughs> <laughs> but yeah god anyway sorry we move on I mean I, I was bent over today at the fourth goal not in, a, not in a, that kind of way but you could see you're the, the handrail things at Chelsea because of the um, safe standing which is just bolting some railings on mm-hmm. but because you're standing there it's it's lower than normal so you can put your hands on it if you want but it's just there for show really and so as soon as, soon as the, the, the fourth went in i leaned forward and i, I could have literally been, been bro- broken in half oh because it, it, it was just like just below the nipples but above the belly and it it's not exactly where you want to be leaning and thankfully no one rushed me from behind um but <laughs> But it wasn't very comfortable, and it's kind of like sore now. Now I've been laughing, and it's not very advisable to score for it. Chelsea, but uh, there we are. Back to normal. I, do, I wish we had a soundboard so that I could like play dodgy things Stu said. Because I mean, <laughs> from behind, between the nipple and the stomach. <laughs> yeah, there was quite a few. That was the most Kenneth Williams you've ever been, Stu. Oh. As a cage fighting super fan, I, I often just go back to, I wore a, um, a, a rope as a belt. That's one of my favourite students. Yeah, but that was, that was a practical solution to a bad problem. Yeah, it was also something that happens on The Simpsons. With oh, well, I'm not, I don't watch The Simpsons, so I don't so, know. So you don't imagine it in real life, Stu, that's my point. 
<laughs> I saw another tweet earlier about The Simpsons that they predicted those Apple goggle things. People walking around wearing those Apple goggles. Like, The Simpsons are just so ridiculous. I, mean, I suppose they've got that many episodes just throwing shit at the wall. Something's going to happen. I, I mean, at, yeah. at this point... Ridiculous. At this point, I'm kind of guessing... It could just be the other way around that people are looking, watching The Simpsons and getting ideas for things. It could be. Yeah, that would like Star Trek. It to be fair. Mm. Right. Uh, my question's up next. What is the best fourth film in a series or franchise or whatever you want to call it? Stew. I was going to mention Jurassic World. Um, just because the first one was actually really good and it was better than the third one. But then we've had more than, more of them, so does it really count? Um, but I mean, if the, if you think the fourth one's the best one, then yeah. But the other franchise, isn't it? So. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But but the real answer is obviously Fury Road, because it's brilliant. Yeah, it is an excellent film, is it? In fact, well, we talked about it for about twenty minutes last week, so I don't, I don't want to talk about it again. It's I mean, we, could, we could just name this podcast Fury Road Talk and do it every every single week and never get sick of it. But yeah, it's. It's a wonderful, wonderful film. And it's it's easily better than the first three. Yeah, like the first three don't even come close to they. But I didn't watch the first three until probably about four or five years ago. It's fairly recent. It was the first time I watched them. And they're fine, but yeah, the uh, number four is tremendous. Matt, I'm guessing four probably ranks quite highly for you as well for Fury Road. Yeah, um, not high enough to, to, to trouble... My list. Um, I'm going to be super unpopular here. Um, and I'm going to go with Harry Potter and the Goblet of Fire. And me. Oh, here we go. <laughs> and I'll tell you for why. I'll tell you for why. I don't want to steal your thunder, Ed. So if you need me to mention Rocky Four, I will. Um, but um, Goblet of Fire was the first one where it moved away from being super just kids. And fucking Diggeroy gets clarted at the end. And then it, that's that's the bit. It's that's the change. It, like someone gets actually murdered, um, and then it then moves on into a slightly darker world as it goes on. And then they, you know, we see the the buds of romance start, and we see everything else. And it's the where Rocky Four. It doesn't jump the shark, but it's definitely like the worst of the good Rocky films in terms of like a story. Goblet of Fire is where the story evolves and it carries on then into what it ends up becoming a much darker story as it goes on. So, yeah, Goblet of Fire for me. Yeah, and me. It's where the where the books turned as well. Um, so the, the first three books are perfectly fine, but they're kids' books. This one I read as a teenager or, a, yeah, just about a teenager, I think. Um, and, yeah, it's where the films also grow up a bit more that all the kids are like 14, 15, so they can actually act now or act better anyway. And mm-hmm. there's more in the the good actors are allowed to, you know, to shine. So Gary Oldman gets more in this film, Brendan Gleeson, Alan Rickman, you know, um, Voldemort, Ray Fiennes, all, they all kick in. And like Matt just said, you know, someone dies at the end. You know, this is serious now. Harry Potter's starting to fancy girls. It's all very much more interesting than the first three, which are definitely kid-based films and they all obviously remain that way but as a as a big pothead um definitely goblet of fire it's weird because that's where i've stopped and i didn't watch any more after that 
which I, I enjoyed them. I, I just need to get over. I think it's, it's it's the second. It's it's my second favorite book, um, and it's probably the the best film I think of all of them as well. I think. Yeah, I think I actually agree with you there. It's not my fourth film, though. I mean, um, it's the best of the Harry Potter films, and it's probably the second best book. I think Half Foot Prince is, is my yeah. favourite one because I don't think she's a very good writer, if I'm honest, generally speaking. Because she followed that up with Order of the Phoenix, which is an absolutely dog shit book. It's written so badly. Um, but yeah, Half Foot Prince, I think, is my favourite of the books. Yeah. yeah. So I'd put two films on my list because I assumed either Stu or Matt was going to say Mad Max Fury Road um, and to finish that I'm kind of stunned that you didn't go with um, Rocky Four. I really thought that was going to be your, your cup of tea it's, it, it would have if if it wasn't like the worst of them it's just where like whereas, whereas the Harry Potters go up yeah Rocky goes down to a point then Harry Potter then goes off on his dives but yeah so my fourth, my favourite fourth is The Muppets Christmas Carol. I think he's, I watched it before Christmas and like I love that film anyway, but watch it on the big screen. I was just blown away at actually how brilliant it is. Like it's one that I always watch, but I think because I've seen it so many times, I tend to watch it either as background noise or, you know, if you're scrolling Twitter or something. But being in the cinema, being forced to put everything away and just watch this on the screen. It just reminded me how what a wonderful movie it is, what a heartwarming, fantastic movie it is. And the fact that Michael Caine doesn't treat the Muppets like they're, you know, Muppets. Mm. He treats them like they're his co-stars. He's actually acting with them like it's a proper Shakespearean play, or Dickensian play, I suppose it would be. He really gave it socks and it really showed on the screen. It's such a great film. So Muppets Christmas Carol is my favourite fourth in a series of films. You're up next, please. <laughs> and I'm just waiting to watch it Ed's face because he, before we started recording, he had to ask what this even meant. Yeah, not a clue. <laughs> whatever I say, whatever I say, post this. Oh, I am winging it. <laughs> so, so basically, American is it just American? Or was it worldwide? Or I think it's worldwide because copyright laws exist everywhere. They must be yeah. international. So basically, copyright law <clears throat> generally. Once it gets to the 100-year mark, after 100 years, you can do whatever the fuck you want with anything. So that's why we had that weird Winnie the Pooh stuff last year. Um, <laughs> Blood and Honey. Um, and obviously, Steamboat Willie happened a few weeks ago. And if you haven't seen it yet, go and look at the trailer for Mouse, um, which is a first-person game in the style of Steamboat Willie, which looks ridiculous and amazing at the same time. So from that point of view, uh, is this statute of limitation of 100 years for copyright law a good thing? Because we've had to wait for 100 years to be able to do things with Mickey Mouse. Not that way. Um, although although it's open it's open to suggestion now. Do whatever the fuck you want. It's free. Or should it be like 50 years to give people an actual chance? Because after 50 years of an IP, are the people who created it really caring anymore? Because that seems to be more fair to me. Andrew, you look intrigued. I I think it should be, I don't know, 75, 50, whatever years after the last appearance of that character. So with someone like Steamboat Willie, 
fuck it. They haven't used Steamboat Willie version of Mickey Mouse for, you know, forever and a day. So whatever. I'm pretty sure I read that Superman is up in four years time. I think it is. Batman. Superman is still being used. And Batman, yeah. Those characters are still being used very regularly. Now, when it comes down to it, the version of Superman that will hit public domain will be the one that can't fly. It'll be the one with, like, got the S drawn in it, you know, a black marker rather than, you know, the one that we associate with Superman now. So it's very much a very basic bitch version of Superman. But the thing is that the roots of that character you still see now in their their work, they're still using that character. So for them to now just say, well, you can use it, I don't think he's right. If Disney was still using Steamboat, really, boy, would they want any fucker to just be able to use that character in some really shoddy horror, much like Winnie the Pooh. When we had a Winnie the Pooh film, the last one I remember, 2011 was the Heffalump. I don't know if there's been one since then. Oh, we had the Christopher Robin film, didn't we? Like, that was mid-2010s. So they are still using that IP. So for it to just go to anyone to be able to do whatever the hell they want with it doesn't sit right with me. If it was a dead IP that hasn't been used for 50 years, for example, fight. that's your fault for not using it. Anyone can use it now, then. But on the flip side, what if by doing this, it got to like 49 years and then they just put some troglodyte shite out? Like the um, perfect example, Fantastic Four. They put that, that film out for the sole reason to keep it because mm-hmm. they they would have lost it if they'd left it another year. So they released that thing. Yeah, I mean, there's always going to be a line with these things and you've got to draw a line somewhere, haven't you? I suppose. I don't know where that line is. I mean, maybe you could appeal it. Yeah, if it's your property, I don't think it should be all and sundry just gets access to it because it's been so many years. Or if maybe if it's 50 years from when the creator of that character dies, maybe. Yeah. Maybe that would be a way around it. I don't know. That's fair. Matt? Uh, I don't know. I don't... Uh, I'd be pretty aggrieved if someone was making money off something that they had absolutely nothing to do with just because of the mere passage of time. Like, I'm I'm not sure why... I don't think in any... Like, I don't think... No, I don't think that... I think 50 years is way too short an amount of time because Star Wars by now would be in the public domain if it was 50 years and yeah. and we, we, we get enough Star Wars as it is. We said it earlier, much less than any, every fucking time. Star Wars. Add them exactly. Um, maybe one. Maybe one I would endeavour to watch. Um, yeah, like I, I don't think there should be. A, I don't think there should be a, a, a cap on it. Full stop. If I'm honest with you, because when it comes to then like dross that you get on the back of it, and you like the Jungle Book and all the iterations of that and everything else, and that, like the amount of times that. I'm playing Assassin's Creed Valhalla at the moment. It's all for this and for that. And then you've got Marvel doing it and you've got this doing it and that doing it. And like, I just think it dilutes things when then everybody gets an opportunity to, to get their hands on it and they will try and do something different and unique. I just, I'm not for it, if I'm honest. I know that might be like Tory with a lowercase t. But <laughs> it's kind of how I feel about it, unfortunately. No, I'm, I'm the same. I think... Someone has, if you've 
being brave enough to put something you've created out into the world that should be yours for however long you want it to be um and not for it to be bastardized or messed around with because that is essentially your your thoughts in you know word form or in pictorial form i i think 100 years is perfect by 100 years you're a generation or two away from whoever created that i think 100 years is perfectly fine so i think anything before that there's a chance that the creator's still alive or you know the the um spouse or the you know the offspring of that creator is alive watching something that their um family member has created you know being used for whatever the hell someone else wants to do to piggyback on to make some money out of it it's i yeah it's it's essentially like someone using you know one of one of you know your your pets or your kids for whatever they want to do because you created that thing whatever it is i don't think it should be just in anyone else's hands personally i think 100 years is you're what two generations away i think that's perfect hmm. where do you sit with this show I think I, I, I've kind of come round to that way of thinking there, actually. I mean, I thought at first it was the fact that we could have alternative versions of stuff. But I think I think Matt and Ed have got a point, though, that, yeah, someone's, someone's created it. I mean, we ain't going to be around in 97 years' time when, when someone comes and steals our stuff off here. Um, so that doesn't matter. Um, but, yeah, I think, I think 100 years probably is right. Because it's it's quirky enough now to see weirdness like this um, to not affect anything, and like the Superman thing. I mean, they've appealed Mickey Mouse over over and again, haven't they? Just for because it's the the thing of the whole company. But yeah, I think yeah, I think hundred years is probably fair, and there's probably a reason why that's not changed in hundreds of years. Um, that it's still the same, and things obviously like we're not we're gonna see. Pong going to the public domain, and uh, we might we might still be around for that maybe, um, but again, will we really care at that point when we're dribbling out of our eyes and all st- all kinds of things? So, yeah, I, I think that it's it's around the houses, but I think you've convinced me. Hundred years is okay. I'm interested because I don't know if it works the same for music. So I, I think like when we hit, you know. 2060 i don't think beatles music then becomes public domain that might be something we can discuss in a future music cast anyway but i do think there's a slight difference between how they did it but very interesting uh thought yeah. um matt your question please so i want to know your mount rushmore of comedic actors as in uh individuals not characters who um appears on the mount rushmore for you the four names that come to mind Andy. So the first name that came to my head was Bill Murray. So you've got Caddyshack, Ghostbusters, Groundhog Day, Scrooge. He's got one of the best cameos ever in Zombieland, The Life Aquatic with Steve Caesar, The Man Who Knew Too Little. The guy's just got it when it comes to comedy. And he's not a outlandish comedian. Like he, he does have that in Caddyshack that he can be silly. But his comedy doesn't always necessarily come from that. I think he's fantastic because of it. Tina Fey is the next one on the list. 30 Rock is a top five US sitcom. Fucking adore that show, which is incredible. She's written and starred in Mean Girls, Sisters, Kimmy Schmidt, Muppets Most Wanted, 
Baby Mama Soul, Whiskey Tango Foxtrot. Her autobiography is like really, really hilariously funny. Called Bossy Pants. Tina Fey is one of my favourite human beings, and she can do the both where she's a writer and she's an actor. I really think that's a fantastic trait. Steve Martin. So he's in the original Muppets movie, The Jerk, The Man with Two Brains, Three Amigos, Little Shop of Horrors, The Dentist. He's one of my all-time favourite characters. I've said it before on this podcast. So he's got to be up there. Dirty Rotten Scoundrels. Yeah. And plus, Only Murders in the Building. He had a bit of a shaky 2000s, but he's come back strong with uh, Only Murders. And the final name, I really struggled to pick someone because there were so many greats. Eddie Murphy missed out because he had like, I would put Eddie Murphy's 80s up against anybody in the world. He was incredible. But unfortunately, the 80s were like 30-odd years ago or 40-odd years ago at this point. It's been a long time. So the name that I've gone with is Robin Williams. I think he was a triple threat when it came to actually performing comedy. In the, like, he did TV, he did film, and he's done stand-up, and he was at the top of all of those fields. Morgan Mindy, Good Morning Vietnam, Hook. Fisher King, Mrs. Doubtfire, Jumanji, Birdcage, Jack. He had three Oscar nominations before he won his Oscar for uh, Good Will Hunting, which I know that's not one of his comedic roles, but he could show that he had such range that he was able to do that. And I think his performance in Good Will Hunting, even though it was a straight character, he managed to bring the comedy with it as well. He managed to give some levity to some quite tough conversations that he was having between his character and Will Hunting. So that's my Mount Rushmore. Excellent. Ed, what about yourself? So yeah, Andy's ticked off two of mine, <laughs> and I think Stu's. So yeah, I had um, Bill Murray and Steve Martin on mine as well, for everything you just said. Um, I've also gone for Rowan Atkinson. Uh, no, I, fair. I'm not a Bean fan, but I am completely aware that Clown, clowning is an art form, and he nailed it. Um, but add to that, you know, his sketch comedy in the seventies and eighties, and then obviously Blackadder is an all-time classic. Um, and he showed an ability to not just be one character, which is what I found myself doing a lot of with this list. I realised that you know Ryan Reynolds is Ryan Reynolds in every film he's in, <laughs> you know, and you start to realise that a lot of these comedic actors are just themselves in every um every film that they are which is why i went for even though again i'm not a biggest fan of his work sasha baron cohen he creates characters mm. and plays different people in in pretty much everything he does they're obviously all very um over the top bombastic alter egos of of parts of his brain but he's shown he can act in other films but you know all of his characters are they, there are some unique differences with all of them, which is, I think shows his his acting ability rather than, you know, if this was a top four of comedians, for me, he wouldn't be anywhere near the top 50 probably. But in terms of the characters he creates and the acting that he does in those in those characters and how immersed he gets into them, you know, I mean, he, he fooled most of America into thinking <laughs> that people from Kazakhstan were exactly like Borat, for goodness sake. So, you know, he's got, he's got some real chops about him and some... Um, Brave is brave in what he does as well and what he tries to do. So I've gone for gone for him. But yeah, I, I also had like Jim Carrey and Ben Stiller and, and all those types of people on the list as well. But I, I toyed with Will Ferrell, but he went 
down the list of he's just Will Ferrell and everything. Mm, fair. Well, what about you, Shay? I mean, just the fact that we had the moment of Richard Mowley dressed up as LEG is means that he has to work. And the same Boyakasha and being a thing, just wonderful. Did you really? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> There's so much. I mean, that, the whole Bru- Bruno gets underplayed as well. Bruno is excellent. Um, yeah, the, the two that Andy mentioned already, uh, Bill Murray. Actually, no, I want to mix it up, you know. Although Bill Murray, Eddie Murphy is on my list um, because of the 80s mm-hmm. and Nutty Professor. Just early 90s, was that, I presume? Yeah. Yeah. He's he was hilarious. I don't care about all the stuff since, and this is not this is not a list of personality or your current work, as you can tell from the other two. The other two, Leslie Nielsen, just yeah. just dry as anything. I can't think you actually hear, ever heard him laugh, which sounds like a strange thing to say, but I can't think of it. Playing just to be able to play such straight roles in just stupid films over and over again. It's, an, like you said, a, a cloning around is an art form. Yeah. And he's a, a clown without playing a clown, which is bizarre. But who is? Who was a clown? And a bit of a Tory, I suppose, but still. John Cleese? Because you don't get half of this shit without John Cleese and Fawlty Towers anyway. Um, so he, he has to be recognised for what he did and A Fish Called Wanda, obviously. Um but yeah, I think John Cleese never gets talked about anymore because of his issues and his, his opinions and things that he's got since. I mean, he's an old man and he's a bit bitter and twisted now, but still, 70s, 80s, superb. Fair, fair, fair. Um, so for me, and I, I, this the number one isn't my number one of the list, but someone that just whenever I see his face, he physically makes me laugh. Anything he's in, he physically makes me laugh. Um, and it's Paul Rudd. I see him in anything and I just have a smile on my face, like regardless of what character he's playing and what he's doing. And that, that, that's comedy. He doesn't, it, it's the feel good factor of comedy. Um, and the same with Leslie Nielsen. Like, I don't think there's a huge, like a body of work that I have seen outside of like naked good and airplane and stuff like that. But just he's, he is that style of deadpan comedy that like I, can't get enough of and will never not be funny and that's why he's a great because of so many years on and he was in like the SummerSlam 92 adverts or something like that as well where like um, the mystery of the Undertaker or whatever I can't remember what mm-hmm. year it was probably a little earlier than that um, Jim Carrey for obvious reasons um, like yes he's uh, the same in a lot of the roles that he's in but he's had such like a unique he's just he's been in so much that has like touched Touched millions. There was always a precursor to be the paedophile, isn't it? That, but um, it, like the Sonic, yes. Um, but I think just the body of his works like speaks for itself when it comes to all the stuff that he's done. And then someone who I think is way more diverse than like it comes out, and then will be Jack Black. He has the like the family film in his locker, which is fine. But then he has like the Tenacious D movie and all of the stuff related to Tenacious D, which is if. People that now like Jack Black because of Super Mario um, and <laughs> they like got their kids to watch some of his back catalogue. 
they'd be horrified at how disgusting his comedy is, especially when it comes to some of the stuff on like the Tenacious D DVDs and the skits they used to do as as, as an early band. Like he's a very very funny person, doesn't take himself very seriously at all. Um, and again, one of those faces just he just puts a smile every time you see him. So yeah, those four for me. I'm unconventional, a few of them, but it's about kind of what what that what that does to you, doesn't it? Mm-hmm. Yeah, you need to watch um, you need to watch Dead and Love in it. That is that's that exactly is... what I was thinking. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Dracula, Dead and Love in it, Matt. Um, oh, it's might. a great, yeah, it's a great uh, Nielsen performance. There was one story I heard about Leslie Nielsen when he was doing when he was working for WWF, as it was. Um, so the guy who played he's the captain in the police squad. I can't remember the guy's name. He hadn't worked for a while, and Leslie Nielsen said to well, I assume Vincent Man, such and such hasn't worked for so long. Can you please hire him to just come in and do something? You can take the money. You'll pay him out of my wages. And I think well, that just shows what a great person he was as well as a great comedian. So, yeah, that's I, I do like the Leslie Nelson choice. He was on the long list, as was Jack Black, to be fair, I think. Because Jack Black, you are right, he's got such a wealth of different roles in his locker and they've all been great. Well, good to grace, haven't they? Mm-hmm. So, yeah, great choice. Fantastic. Right, so that's the question cast part of this done. We're going to be moving on and discussing The Flash in a moment. So, Ed, I'd just like to say thank you so much for coming on. It's been a real pleasure having you on. You've had some excellent choices as well. No, no, I've enjoyed it. Thanks for thanks guys for inviting me on. I've uh, listened for many years, so it's cool to be on. Thank you. Anytime. Obviously, Matt will be off on his paternity leave before long, so I'm sure we'll be calling you back up for, uh, uh, t- for a future appearance as well. Very much. Right, okay, thanks for joining us after the break. So we're gonna be discussing the good, the bad, and the crazy about Nicolas Cage's performance and the film in general of The Flash from 2023. There's not gonna be a lot to talk about in regards to the performance because it's quite literally five seconds. Um so Stu, just tell us about the, the good, the bad, and the crazy that you thought in the film in general. I mean, it's such a baffling piece of art. It, it's, I can't, I still can't believe it's got made. When the good, the, the good thing for me was seeing Michael Keaton again because that was the Batman that I grew up with. Um, he's not playing the Batman that I grew up with, though, is he? So that's not automatically a bad part. Um, but the the idea of of having him back was a nice one, and I wish that we hadn't been bashed over the head, and that had been a surprise somehow. But obviously, it was never possible to do that. Um, look, I think I think it is it's enjoyable shit. Basically, I I enjoyed myself. I watched, I've watched it twice now. The first time I enjoyed myself more because I I couldn't believe what I was watching. Second time, you're watching it and thinking, yeah, this is actually not that much fun. Um, but still, it, it was better than, in a kind of sick way, it was better than a lot of things that I'd seen the last couple of years from superhero-wise. Bad. Everything else. <laughs> CG's bad. Plot's bad. Everything's bad. Um, it's It leaves certain questions unanswered that we're never going to get answers to now, you'd think, mm. which is annoying. Um, 
and the I mean the crazy is the decision that they took with the guest stars and why we're doing this on the here because there had to have been a better way than this surely it's just in, it's insane what they did and the fact that he apparently did he was back in the studio for this and it wasn't just a, a, a CG model what is the point what's the point just baffling doesn't make sense it really didn't did it uh, Matt obviously this was your most disappointing film of, of last year in the year uh, in the couple of weeks podcast ago. Um, so have you got anything good to say about this movie? As a as a switch your brain off exercise, I mean it was a lot of fun in parts, in in isolated incidents and scenes. There was a lot of fun to it. Um, you know, it was a it was a it was a shit hot mess, wasn't it? Like <laughs> I can't go. I couldn't come away from it and say to myself, "This was an awful film because of X, Y, Z." It was just a mess, a complete mess. And and much like Jurassic World, I would mention in Pods Gone By, it was like the 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 main event. It's that meal that you've cooked all day in the slow cooker, and then when he comes to it and you eat it, you're like, "What the hell have I put? What hell has been put together here? This wasn't what." That's exactly what the Flash was. And that and that's the bad. It's the execution of it. It was just everything that had been brought up. This was meant to be the thing that kickstarted that universe. This was meant to be like the Infinity War of this universe, and get everything gets going from here. And this is everything. Like it's going to be amazing. And this is a new. And, and, it, and it really wasn't. Was it? It was just it completely um, went against. Everything that they did well to try and build this up has had an adverse effect now in terms of like wanting to then have an appetite to see any films in the franchise going forward or not now in my case. Um, the crazy for me though is like for, for something that should have been such a big deal, they gave way too much away in the trailers. And I know, Stu, you're going to say, well, don't watch trailers, but mm -hmm. like... They're there for a reason for intrigue, not to give away the entire story, which practically is what it was. And that should have been the warning signs for like more fool us for them thinking it should have been anything more than what it was when they're willing to give away all of the playing pieces well ahead of time. Like we should have known better. I mean, I, I've now got to the stage where, you know, where like the football ramble started doing it for a bit where they for a couple of weeks. I think, the, uh, Friday, I didn't notice it, so I think they've stopped. Where they started doing a thing uh, coming up on the football ramble, even that was starting to piss me off because it's a, it's like it's a spoiler for the show that I'm listening to. You don't need to do this, and that's why I started uh, certain um more American than here. Um, there was a period of time where some shows had a thing where they'd show like coming up next after the break, and they'd show you shitloads of stuff. Well. I know why you do this. You're doing this to keep people engaged because you're going to adverts and you don't want to wander off. But at the same time, you're just giving away stuff that you're going to be watching again in a minute. Um, but it's got that. Can you mentioned that though, Stu? Because if you watch like some daytime BBC TV shows like Homes Under the Hammer and that kind of crap, they still do that on shows without fucking adverts. But like, yeah. you'll still have Dion Dublin say later in this show, and look. Like, you're not breaking this show up. Why are you doing that, you fucking idiot? So off-putting. It must be because it's it's sold worldwide. 
It must be. I mean, who in fucking San Diego is watching Dion Dublin rocking up in Hanley to the side <laughs> about buying a fucking house on a slope? Like, yeah. Yeah, sorry, I've disturbed your flow there, Stu. <laughs> but you say, yeah, you say this though, but Midsummer Murders was like the number one show on Netflix or whatever in America at one point. Was it really? I went, and we went to one uh, one away game once, and we was in this pub, and it was a recreation of the Midsummer Murders pub. It wasn't in the place because the place doesn't exist, but it was a proper Midsummer Murders bar, and they had merch and stuff all over the walls. It was really odd, and there was a lot of Americans in there. It must have been in Braintree or somewhere like that. But it was just peculiar. Very odd area. Right, so my good. There was a little bit of heart to this film, I've got to be honest. Like, I think the story with his mom, you know, that was quite a sweet story. And I I, I get where it built from. And I, I love the original, the source material, the Flashpoint book. It's just tremendous. And they did a decent, not a good decent enough job of recreating the whole point of why Flashpoint became a thing. So I'll give it that. The bad was, like you said, Stuart, it is pretty much everything else. It was the clearest sin this film was. Like, if you stop any, if you pause on any screen in this movie, it just looks hideous. The CG was so poor that at no point did anything resemble what it was supposed to resemble, let alone when we were in the Flash time nonsense that's the ugliest shit I've ever seen in any film, let alone any superhero film. It was just horrific. It was such a bad film in general. I enjoyed it in the cinema, but like you said, the rewatch, it is almost unwatchable, sat at home watching it, knowing where it's going. At least when I watched it first time in the cinema, I was kind of like, this yeah, is yeah, yeah. what's going to happen next? And I didn't hate it because I was kind of enjoying the, the ride that I was on with it. But at home, where you know it's going, it's like, oh, this is just awful. There's zero rewatchability in this movie. It's horrendous. And the crazy, pretty much everyone involved in the the final scene, you know, where, where he's going through all the different iterations of his Superman and what have you, pretty much all of those people have come out and said about what an awful experience it was. They've been like, Nicolas Cage has come out and said how much he hated his time there. And he was there for a fucking day for crying out loud. <laughs> like, he wasn't there dumb enough to be that pissed off. And of course, obviously, everything that happened in regards to Christopher Reeve's family not signing off on it. You've got Helen Slater, who didn't have a great time as Supergirl, but she was, you know, fudged in there, same as George Reeves as well. Like, it was just kind of morally bankrupt as well in the end. And I'm just very glad that it's gone now and we can leave it and move on and that's the DCEU effectively done. I know we've had a couple of little films after, but I think Blue Beetle's actually going to go forward. And I'm fine with that because that was fun enough. Didn't hate that film at all. And I actually will re-watch that at some point. Aquaman was dog shit. Don't waste your time. Flashpoint realistically is the end of the old DCEU. And I'm, I'm glad of it, to be honest, because, yeah, it's been mostly stinker after stinker, hasn't it? Let's be honest. Yeah. Right, so next question. Did you enjoy the film? I think we know the answer to this one, but Matt? Enjoy in the sense that, like, sometimes you slow down if there's been an accident on the motorway <laughs> and you can't help but watch it, then then yes, but otherwise, no. Stu? 
I mean, I, I've enjoyed having a bruised rib, which I'm, I'm now saying I have got <laughs> today more than watching this film again. But the first time when I did enjoy myself, just for all the wrong reasons. Um, so it's it's kind of in the middle of them, I suppose. Yeah, I think if you're doing a bad movie night, this is a bad movie that you will have fun with. If you want to watch a good film, this is not the film for you, I don't think. So, yeah, I agree with pretty much what both of you have said. Uh, the next question is kind of redundant, but Stu, was Nicolas Cage good or was he bad? <laughs> it is, what, five seconds? That wasn't even him. I mean, we got to see what... Um... Him fight a beast that we were promised in what I'm going to recommend to watch instead. Um, <laughs> so maybe I mean, it's, it's just it's impossible. We can't even use this category for this one. I mean, yeah, for our, for argument's sake, it just has to be wiped from history because it doesn't count. Even for us, it doesn't count. No, but have you got anything to say about Nick Cage's cameo? I mean. He brought a smile, so that's something, isn't it? At the end of the day, like yeah, it was, it was a, it was a fun nod, and nothing more, nothing less. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, there's not, there's nothing you can say. It looks awful, and it barely looked like it was Nicholas Cage. To be perfectly honest, but I did laugh, and especially because he's fighting the giant space alien spider. Like, if you know the story, on what I'm assuming she's going to be recommending. Yeah, the joke's there. Fine. Enough. Done. So, final question. If you enjoyed The Flash, you may also like Matt. Um, I've gone down because if you if you do enjoy this, you enjoy a, a hot mess of a film that is still fun regardless. So, I'm going for the greatest crossover in history that ever existed. And that's Alien versus Predator. <laughs> um, again, a hot mess of a film that like on paper should have been great the execution wasn't quite there but i did have for a lot of fun with it and i still think you know that's all you need sometimes and i did really enjoy alien versus predator because of how kind of stupid it was talking about predator we, we, we never mentioned it did we the cult. oh uh, carl weathers yeah i know really sad that was really got was me. sad <laughs> and you see you say um stallone's little video as well Oh no! I haven't brought myself to watch it yet because I just know it's going to be a, it's going to be a, it's going to be heartbreaking. He's got a, like a painting of the two of them behind him in this in his bar, I presume it's in his house or something. It's really sweet, actually. Uh, he's just talking about how great he was and how he was part of his life and all this kind of stuff. Yeah, really nice. I mean, you, like we said um, in the group chat and other people that no one's had a bad word about him. You don't hear bad things about him ever. Just a really nice guy who did his job and he did it really well. So it's really sad that he's gone. Um, but yeah, but anyway, a bit of a doubt there. But um, yeah, if you if you want to watch something about why Cage is in this film, watch The Depth of Superman Lives because it's actually really interesting in just how films are made and how films are not made. What well, more importantly, in this one, and it's obviously part of it is clipped out for the intro of the show. So um, yeah, it's it's. A, it's more interesting than this film is enjoyable. So if you want a bit of a... a, a that is very true. A side hustle and a, and a bit of a change of temperature, then go and watch that instead. It is available on YouTube as well, to be fair. So 
it's, it's that's well worth a watch. It is a great documentary. Um, the film I'm going to recommend because obviously I know it's a superhero film and there's a fucking wealth of superhero films that everyone has seen. So I'm going to go for one that probably very few people have seen. Um, it's called Super Bob. It was available on Amazon Prime to stream. It's a really sweet little British film that was made on a shoestring with Brett Goldstein starring as Bob. And he's a, the only human being who is he's basically Superman in a world where there are no other superheroes. And the government try to coerce him into doing what the government want to. But he just wants to be left alone and live his life. Uh, it's also got Natalie, Natalia, sorry, Tenna in it, who's in, who's Tonks in the Harry Potter films. Catherine Tate's in it as well. So there's a few other recognisable faces in there. It's just a really sweet little comedic superhero film that I think more people should watch because it's a wonderful. So that's my recommendation on this. So that's us done this week. Next week, Matt, how do you fancy doing a music cast? The first had bloody love it. Yeah, because we mentioned on the on the podcast about uh, the Beatles catalogue. There's an interesting story there about uh, I said Marilyn Manson, fucking Michael Jackson. <laughs> Um, but yeah, we'll come to that uh, on Musicast. Lovely. So that'll be next week, and then we'll be back with a question cast after that one. I will let you know what film we'll be watching and discussing uh, next week. That one. So you can get us on YouTube. I, I have we have recorded tonight, so fingers crossed this will actually be uploaded. I don't know when, but I'll try. Don't worry about it. Uh, Twitter, TikTok, Insta, MySpace, wherever the cool kids are hanging these days, you will find at Cage Fighting Pod. Where you can email us cagefightingpod at gmail.com. Make sure you subscribe on whatever podcatcher that you listen to us on. And if you could leave a little five star review, we would love you forever. So, but this week, Matthew, would you like to say goodbye? Take it easy, everybody. Have a great week ahead. Whatever you get up to, stay safe. Check in on those pals of yours. Stuart, would you like to say goodbye? Yeah, in a minute. Um, as we were recording this, Xbox era says that Microsoft is planning to release Starfield on PS5. So, um, now more exclusives for Xbox. Mm. That's one for a few weeks' time. By that point, we'll know more. Goodbye, everyone. And it's goodbye from me, and remember, be excellent to each other. (laughs) 